Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Orthopedic Surgery Podcast, a curated series of interviews and discussions highlighting the three shields of orthopedic surgery at Mayo Clinic, clinical practice, research, and education. Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Orthopedic Surgery Podcast. I'm John Barlow, and I'm joined here with Matt Abdel, Professor of Orthopedic Surgery and one of our hip and knee reconstruction specialists, to talk today about dual mobility total hip arthroplasty. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me, John. Exciting topic for us. Obviously, it's, a, it's an area that continues to grow, and I think this, um, it, it's, as a shoulder surgeon, it's, it seems to me that this uh, market continues to grow year over year in terms of the ideas of dual mobility, but I don't think it's all brand new ideas. Can you talk to us a little bit about maybe um, the general history of dual mobility or even bearing choices in total hip arthroplasty over time? Yeah, you know, dual mobilities have been around since 1970 in France. I mean, the French were really should be credited with, with this construct, and it was late to be adopted in North America. Really, the first FDA-approved dual mobility construct was in 2009, 2010, with inhuman use around 2011. So it's only been here for a decade, but it's been in France for four decades. And the concept is quite simple, right? You have a large polyethylene head, a smaller femoral head that sits on the trunnion. You get two things out of that. You get a larger jump distance because you have a larger mean effective head size, and you have dual articulations prior to dislocation from impingement. Um, so it's, it's novel, but it's been around for four decades in Europe. And I'm sure some people would say, uh, geez, Matt, this, uh, we're, we're treating something that we, we're not really having a big problem with. What, can you talk to us about maybe the, the current thinking about polyethylene wear as, as, uh, as an idea in total hip arthroplasty and yep. if that's affected with dual mobility? And then we can obviously talk about the instability portion of it as well. Yeah. Well, there's no, there's no, uh, no mystery why dual mobility has gained popularity in North America and has always been popular in Europe. It's dislocation. That remains the number one aseptic complication after primary hip arthroplasty, periprostatic joint infection. Most registries probably still number one, dislocation number two. But in revisions, our uh, award-winning Mayo paper from last year at the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons showed that the number one complication after revision total hip arthroplasty is dislocation. The number one, over-infection. So it's a big problem. So the name of the game here is dislocation. The question is, do you give up something else? Do you have higher polyethylene wear, aseptic loosening rates, other complications? And in a huge systematic review we did with both the English and French language, we had a native French speaker on the paper, that actually showed that aseptic loosening and polyethylene wear were lower in this huge systematic review in patients with dual mobility constructs. Yeah, that's interesting. And obviously, it's, uh, there's very few things in our lives where we get uh, substantial advantage without some cost as a trade-off. As surgeons, it seems like everything has, has some substantial trade-off. So it's nice if that, um, if, if that continues to, to bear out. Can you talk a little bit about some of the different, I know there's different, and, and I think you even have some development uh, ideas in here, but some of the different constructs that, that a surgeon could use to create a dual mobility construct. Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, I do have a conflict that the, the group uh, should be aware of and that I helped design and develop a dual mobility construct. But there are multiple iterations of dual mobility constructs currently on the market in North America. I'll just focus on North America. Um, so there are cemented dual mobilities that you can actually cement in a primary or revision setting. So those usually have a backing that's amenable to cementing. 
There are uh, dual mobility constructs that have uh, liners. Uh, in North America, those are typically cobalt chrome liners, but there's now one on the market that's a ceramicized metal that's impacted into a revision acetabular socket or even the primary if you use that particular component. And there are monoblock versions of that, John, in which you do not have an articulation and you put the entire cup in. Of course, the limitation there is you can't put supplemental screws, which I personally am a big believer in, in the primary and certainly in the revision setting for every patient. Um, but there are monoblock dual mobility acetabular components. The components on the femoral side are largely the same. You have a small femoral head that's either 22 or 28 millimeters and a polyethylene that has a Morris taper that goes on top of that. And so for you, when do you consider doing a primary dual mobility in the primary setting? So when do you go straight to a dual mobility and what's your preferred construct uh, for, for doing, a, let's say, a primary, just a primary dual mobility? Yeah, in hip arthroplasty, this is probably the most evolving area right now is when to utilize it in the primary setting. If I were to give you some wrap up my head, the highest risk group are those that are, have hip spine interplay. So fused hips down to the sacrum or substantial lumbar spine disease that put them in either anterior pelvic tilt and an inability to correct their pelvis when they sit, giving them a high risk of dislocation, that's number one. Number two, femoral neck fractures. We know those patients that get a total hip arthroplasty have an increased risk of dislocation. So in that setting, if I'm gonna do a total hip arthroplasty, I'll utilize a dual mobility construct. Number three, people with compromised neurologic structure status, and I mean centrally, so dementia or locally, compromised abductors, weakness, high risk for dislocation. Um, those are the three big camps in which I'll think about utilizing a dual mobility construct in the primary setting. That's, that's, um, that's interesting. Just out of curiosity, and I think you're, you tend to be a posterior surgeon. How about patients yeah. who on exposure are abductor deficient? What, what's your, what do you do for approach there? And, and is that an indication for you to do a, to do a dual mobility? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good idea. You're right. Most of the time I'm a posterior approach surgeon, but 20% of the time I go anterolateral. So if I see a true ball trochanter, I'll usually work from that plane first of all. So I'll go anterolateral, I won't open up the back. And that is a strong indication for me for dual mobility construct. So I'll go in, I'll do the total hip arthroplasty, I'll utilize the dual mobility construct, sizing is appropriate. I'll burr up the femur uh, trochanter to get a bleeding tissue bed, and I'll do whatever I can to repair those abductors to the bleeding tissue on that trochanter. That's great. How about in the revision setting? Is it always a dual mobility for you or are there times in which you'll still go with uh, a ceramic on poly? That's, uh, that's a really hot topic in revision hip arthroplasty. And if I can, if I can, if the system allows me to, uh, there are a lot of derivatives in revision hip arthroplasty. My goal is always to get a dual mobility construct in there if it's safe. So if I'm maintaining the acetabular component or the size is too small and I can't do it, then I'll try to maximize my head size or in the worst case scenario, constrain liner. But in the run of the mill acetabular revision, I'm putting in a new cup, I'll utilize dual mobility. Reimplantation, I've got an appropriate size, I'll utilize dual mobility. And uh, our data here indicates that we took dislocation rates down by fourfold in revisions when compared to 40 millimeter heads by utilizing dual mobilities. And those are revisions done here, John, by Mayo Clinic surgeons who are skilled at revision hip arthroplasty. Can you talk about uh, this? This area remains a little bit confusing and it shows, uh, shows that I'm a shoulder surgeon, but how you can convert a, a socket that's already into a dual mobility uh, at the time of revision. If let's say you're gonna do a femoral revision or periprosthetic fracture, but you wanna preserve the socket, what 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 does that process look like? No, it's a good question. There are two main areas that that falls into. Number one, and we still see these, are patients with hip resurfacing that have failed. 
So hypersurfacing by nature will have a monoblock acetabular component. And most of the times you can maintain that. That is, you have your monoblock quote, dual mobility on the acetabular side. And all you need to do is made it with a ceramic, I use ceramic from my heads 22 or 28 with a snap in polyethylene and you can maintain it. Number two, a patient who's got an acetabular component that accepts, that accepts a dual mobility liner. So you're advising them for a B2 periprosthetic femur fracture. They have a particular acetabular that accepts it. I will pluck out the polyethylene liner, snap in a dual mobility liner, which there are two on the market now that are either cobalt chrome or ceramicized metal. And another one that's cobalt chrome is coming on the market very shortly here. And uh, you've done that part of it. And you just put your ceramic head on the femur with a polyethylene on top of that and that Morris taper and you're off to the races. So those are the two scenarios which you do maintain that type of component, monoblack or modular, and they can do mobility. Super helpful. Are there, are there critical intraoperative things that you do, technical factors that are maybe different that surgeons should look out for with dual mobility? I know we, we uh, I remember joints conference, hip and knee conference from when I was a resident, we spent a lot of time thinking about cup inclination and inversion is there is there anything different or otherwise that you look for and when you're doing a dual mobility total hip versus a, a standard liner and socket yeah there there is but let me say one uh preface preface that with a one comment before so you still need to maintain absolute perfect position of your acetabular component so i'm not going to allow the dual mobility to compromise poor acetabular component placement or poor femoral component placement or soft tissue handling that's number one Number two, when placing dual mobility, modular dual mobility liners, it is important to circumferentially see, because it's a hard bearing that's going into hard bearing. It's not like polyethylene that deforms. So you got to circumferentially see, make sure there's no soft tissue in there, line up the tabs in your dual mobility liner, impact it, and then check the four quadrants. Again, because all of these dual mobility constructs that are modular have a hard bearing that's going in, hard liner that's going into hard poly uh, cup, have a hard on hard bearing. You want to make sure that it's appropriately seated. So I'll check it at four quadrants, 12 o'clock, three o'clock, six o'clock, and nine o'clock to make sure the Morris taper appropriately engages. That's super helpful. Um, and uh, have are there any concerns about this technique? I know some people are worried about like maybe the plastic rubbing on the metal on the edges. Has that been, has that been validated or um, is there any specific uh, inner prosthetic dislocation, things like that? Any specific concerns you have about this moving forward or what you're looking for in the next few years? Yeah, so the, the three things we look for are number one, that it's appropriately seated and not mal seated. I just mentioned the trick for that. Number two, we get concerned about potential for corrosion, although the data right now, including the Mayo Clinic data that's published, shows that cobalt chrome levels are below, below our limits, even the smallest limits of one, uh, with utilizing this construct. And we have not seen reported date adverse local tissue response now in a decade out with this construct. And finally, and finally, when you think about this, is going to be intra-prosthetic dislocation. That is, the plastic from the dual mobility liner dissociates from the femoral head. In most series, John, that's actually a dislocation of the dual mobility construct, the whole construct, and an attempt at a reduction mm -hmm. in which they dissociate that. So it seems that intra-prosthetic dislocations are rare, particularly, particularly with 28 millimeter heads. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I'm going to put your feet to the fire here. You talked yeah. a little about cup inclination inversion. So what's the current, and uh, I hear different things about, you know, tolerance for uh, the zones of, of how you're going to place these uh, sockets. What, what is, uh, let's say, what, what doesn't get you in trouble at Mayo Clinic hip and knee uh, conference in terms of 
cup position. What's your target position for cup, both version and inclination? Yeah, that is key to the fire. That's the hardest question right now. So it's all about the target. We've got multiple tools to hit that target. What I will tell you is we um, want to still target the Lewinick safe zone, but it's not going to be perfect. So in the Mayo Clinic experience, we published a paper in 2016 that showed that actually of the hips that dislocate that were done at Mayo Clinic, 60% were within the safe zone. So you still want to get in a safe zone. Let's, let's describe, describe that as 40 degrees of inclination and 20 degrees of anaversion for a posterior approach surgeon. But that's not enough. So don't take that as we can put the cup wherever. It's the opposite. It's saying, if you do that, you still need to do everything else. That is hip center of rotation, limb length, offset, femoral version, and intraoperative trialing to look for impingement. So if you put it 40, 20 analytic safe zone, plus all those other things, and if you're still concerned, you add a dual mobility, you will be very, very safe and will take great care of that patient. I think that makes sense. And I think obviously there's a lot of different techniques that are evolving to try and help surgeons do the right thing, but um, we still have to have uh, precision in terms of what we do and, and hold ourselves to really high expectations in terms of what we do, because, uh, if, if they dislocate and you got your cup perfect, it's one thing, but if they dislocate and your cup is vertical or retroverted, I think, uh, there's, it's, those are long nights and, uh, long, long times looking at yourself in the mirror after those yep. cases. Do we have any outcome studies that, that uh, do we, have this been, uh, you talked about the French literature, which is older. Is there any, uh, modern literature on, uh, survivorship complication rate and, um, and particularly let's say where or otherwise with these, um, with these constructs. Yeah. So the contemporary North American designs now have, uh, over 50 papers, some short, some mid and some now out to seven to 10 years. So we won't call that long, but longer term follow-up. And we've published our series at Mayo in the primary setting and in the revision setting. Uh, and now we're looking at two other issues. We're looking at malseating. How frequently does it occur? With contemporary designs, it appears in our series, it's about six to seven fold less than reported from other series. And we've also followed the uh, serum cobalt and chromium levels. So at this point, there are now over 50 papers published from the North American literature, particularly with one design, but now other papers. And um, it shows excellent results in regards to decreased dislocation, decreased risk of revision for dislocation, and now looking at some of these uh, rare complications that can occur, but occur in pretty low volume here at Mayo. Super helpful. I'm going to try and summarize uh, what, what this shoulder surgeon learned from, from this conversation. And then if you have any further uh, comments, you can add them. But it sure sounds like this is a construct that has been here for a very long time globally and uh, more recently nationally. And it sure seems like a, a construct as opposed to maybe, let's say, um, modular necks or uh, metal on metal that it seems like a construct that is very likely uh, here to stay going forward. Sounds like uh, in the primary hip uh, uh, setting, particularly patients who are at increased risk for dislocation, be it spinal pelvic fusions, um, abductor deficiency neurologic problems would be patients who you'd really consider it in the primary setting. And there's a few different constructs that you could use depending on your implant choices. And in the revision setting, it sure sounds like it would be reasonable to have a low threshold to consider it. The other one I should mention, which is my in my practice, is for the femoral neck fracture, yep. for the for the relatively lower volume uh, trauma surgeon on the weekend doing total hip replacement would be another good um, indication. And then and then ultimately, it's not a it's not a free pass to put your socket where you want to. You still have to do the job uh, perfectly and get the socket in the right 
the right spot. And as, as many people say, perf uh, perfect is good enough. And um, so it, it's a technique or a, let's say it's a tool or technology, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't answer all the problems of poor cup positioning or otherwise. Is that, is that a good summary? And what, what would you leave the surgeons with uh, thinking about dual mobility in their practice? Yeah, it's a, per it's a perfect summary, John. It is, it is an enabling tool to substantially help us with the number one aseptic complication in primaries and the number one overall complication revisions, but it will not compromise for poor component placement, soft tissue balancing, and soft tissue management. So supplemental to the basic principles of primary revision hip arthroplasty, it's an extremely powerful implant that will push the ball forward for us. Super helpful. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Abdel. Always uh, great to have you on the podcast. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Dr. Barlow.